Tell exactly right. So have a great show today. I'm going to be watching very, Thanks, very closely. Buddy. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Connell. Hello and welcome to the Hill. It is a remarkable first. A former president on the witness stand for multiple hours. And afterwards, Donald Trump went before the cameras. We'll tell you what the judge said and what the former president said coming up. Plus, is Joe Biden's reelection campaign in trouble? New polling in major swing states across the country shows that might be the case. The panel breaks down the numbers and the concern. And we are a day away from some major political races across the country. So is one of Elvis Presley's relatives about to occupy a governor's mansion? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwall, News Nation political contributor and senior fellow uh, at the American Enterprise Institute, political editor, rather. Julia Manchester, national political reporter over at The Hill. Kara Frederick is the director of the Tech Policy Center over at the Heritage Foundation. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama administration official and News Nation contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello there. Happy Monday. Off the top as we start the week. Did you see this this afternoon? The former president, Donald Trump, emerging from a New York courtroom after spending most of the day on the witness stand. This is a case that should have never been brought. It's a case that should be dismissed immediately. The fraud was on behalf of the court. The court was uh, the fraudster in this case. Now, this involves the civil case for the former president in New York. Uh, potential stakes here for the business empire as well. Chris, what is at stake here for Donald Trump? Well, look, I mean, he's had his family's going on the witness stand. This is uh, obviously psychically disruptive for the former president because this is his reputation. This is all of this stuff. But I will also warn America, hmm. this is but a little foretaste, a little foreshadowing <laughs> of what is to come in three more Cases we've got, and we have new filings today uh, in the prosecution relating to the January sixth attack. We are just barely getting started with what will be a year of Donald Trump legal debacles. And I would say, Chris, on that point, you know, this is probably the most ordinary one. It's a wealthy guy on trial because he falsified his records, and everything else is not normal because it's. The overthrow of democracy, the overthrow of, of actual votes. So, you know, on on whether this one is going to be the case that sticks, I just don't think. So. I mean, look, this this should be like a a good day for Trump, right? Coming off the polls from over the weekend, which which we'll get to in a second. But he had to walk into a courtroom today. He went back and forth with the judge. I mean, this was it, yeah. it seemed like fairly hostile well, inside that courtroom. Yeah, and I'm about to say something that's very ironic. Hmm. Um, I don't know if going back and forth with the judge and testifying at a trial like this is necessarily a bad thing for Donald Trump with his base. I mean, right. he is very much trying to portray himself as a martyr, as the victim of a political system and Democrats like Letitia James who are targeting him and his family. He has all of that to essentially show to his base. Now, whether Americans get fatigued, because we have a number of uh, trials coming up for the former president, that's a good question. But right now, this appears to be benefiting him. That's right. Well, and I think painting himself as a victim, he has the data points to prove it. You look at when Letitia James was running for the New York Attorney General in 2018, she said, I believe he can be indicted. She ran 
on prosecuting Donald Trump. So he's not making this up out of thin air. There is an argument to be made that the system of justice has been weaponized against him. He's not wrong. Come on in, Jesse Weber, uh, News Nation legal contributor, May Mailman, also former uh, attorney over at the Trump White House. Hello to you both. Uh, we'll go ladies first here. May, uh, Donald Trump on the witness stand today, multiple hours. I mean, this got, this got fairly combative from what I was, from what I was reading. Yeah, and I think that that plays well for President Trump. Um, the reporting was that he was pretty calm. He was kind of triggering the judge. He was giving basically a brochure of Mar-a-Lago and other Trump properties saying how awesome they were, that they were actually undervalued, they were so beautiful, they're on oil-rich land, and the judge was having absolutely none of it. Um, you know, said, you're giving a political speech. I don't want to listen to a political rally. You need to stop. This is irrelevant. And you know what? It is irrelevant to the case. The fraud element has already uh, been decided prior to trial. But it's not irrelevant because Trump is running for president. And this doesn't just play to the base. I think the average American wants punishment to fit the crime. And if Trump's crime, and this is a civil case, not a criminal case, is he says he's a bazillionaire and he's really just a multi-billionaire or a billionaire or slightly less, and your punishment is you can no longer do business in New York, that doesn't strike people as, you know, at the right kind of consequence. So I do think it's right for him to play up this trial in particular. Jesse, does, does, does May have it right here as you see it? Well, look, I mean, I've never seen a case before where you have a witness who's not really concerned about upsetting the judge, let alone a judge who's deciding this case. There's no jury. But I think he's 100 percent. I think May is 100 percent right. I mean, Trump's going into this feeling he's going to lose the case. And it's not so much, you know, if he's concerned about it because he's going to obviously appeal it. I think it was fascinating today because he was basically reiterating a lot of the arguments that the judge already threw out. He also mm. said that, you know, believe I put those disclaimers in those financial documents. You're not supposed to rely on that. And by the way, the banks who you say were harmed, they were fine. They liked the deal. No one complained. And so he's not really making arguments for the judge. He's making arguments, like May said, to the American people, that his business right. is successful and he's not hiding anything. Hey, so you mentioned the judge, Jesse. Uh, yep. Here's what the judge said to Donald Trump at one point. Quote, we got another speech. I beseech you to control him if you can. If you can't, I will. I will excuse him and draw every negative inference that I can. I have never heard a judge say something like that. Okay, Is, so is that in line? Yes, yes. Let, let me make this very clear. Asking a witness to respond with yes or no answers is not that foreign. I mean, we see that in every case. It just happens to be here. We're talking about the former president, and he's accusing hmm. the, the James's office and the judge of being political. But in my experience, no. If a witness runs off and just starts speaking and giving tangents and giving speeches, they're going to be cut off. Right. It just becomes a little more severe here. Okay, so after, uh, after he was on the stand for several hours there, looking at pictures of the judge, Donald Trump went out before the cameras and said this. To think that we're being sued and spending all this time and money, and you have people being killed all over the world, that this country could stop. With inflation and all of the other problems that this country has, I think it's a disgrace. So that's the political argument there from Trump, sort of setting things up. Hey, we shouldn't be worried about this. We should be worried about what's the number one issue that polling shows? 
inflation. And then he goes on to talk about other issues as well. As if the two were somehow, <laughs> right. somehow interconnected. And uh, look, I, I think all of our colleagues here are quite right, which is uh, politically for Trump, this does work in the Republican primary. It does remind Republican voters, yeah, this guy's a Democrat and she's a Democrat and she ran for office and she's mean and they're all being mean to Trump. And that comes into place. But I want to reiterate here the fatigue, not just of Trump, but Trump's own fatigue, doing this day in and day out and in trial after trial and fighting the, all of these people. Trump's not a young man. Uh, this is a lot to do and to run for president at the same time. Uh, running for president yeah. is hard. Running like I say this all the like covering presidential campaigns is hard. You don't want to run for it. That's right. And if you're doing it at the same time where you are fighting the federal, state and multiple state jurisdictions, right. doing all that stuff. I don't know. That's a lot. And my that's question is for a lot of these swing state voters who may not be happy with the economy right now, if they are seeing continuous coverage of Trump's legal issues, do they get fatigued and make this choice again like they made in 2020? I'm going to go with Biden because he's less chaotic. All right. Jesse Weber, thank you, sir. I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Jesse Weber, News Nation uh, legal contributor. Thanks, Thank buddy. you so much. All Appreciate right. it. Although uh, former President Trump is wrestling with the legal issues, he's also getting a boost, I sort of referenced this, in some new polling. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden continuing to show weakness in many areas, including among key supporters that won him the election in 2020. The New York Times-Siena College poll shows Trump leading Biden in five of the six key battleground states. Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, the one there in Biden's column, Wisconsin, within the margin of error at two. In those six key swing states, Donald Trump's support among black voters has jumped to 22 percent. This is as Biden's lead among Hispanic voters is down to single digits. This is a category that Democrats usually win by 30 plus points. Johanna, the concern for Democrats is I mean, you can't look at that and say things are things are all gravy. Yeah. You know, I I mentioned I was with President Obama. We had our 15-year anniversary of our election victory, and we were all talking about everything, right? Like how our politics is going to play out, not just for the next election cycle, but for the next 50 years. Um, President Biden is not concerned about polls. And I've seen after, you know, our gathering now, people are saying that David Axelrod has come out and said, David Axelrod, obviously one of our advisors, said that maybe he should consider not running. And I'll tell you that while there's a loveless marriage and people are kind of like, you know, our heart is not singing for him, he is actually effective at getting some of the Democratic priorities. But that's a problem, right? It is a problem. It's always a problem. But look, when it comes to the, the... issues that we care about, including American manufacturing. We just had another union victory in Michigan. Those are the things that he's going to stand up, not today, but in October of 2024. And I think this poll is not going to change the fact that he's running. All right, Chris, let's rip through some numbers here. Uh, The general election poll, who do you basically trust more on? Uh, not moron. Who do you trust more? <laughs> uh, President Biden on abortion, plus 9%. On democracy, plus 3 The economy, Donald Trump, plus 22 Immigration, plus 12 Now, if the president, a former president, rather, were convicted and sentenced to prison, but were still the Republican nominee, who would you vote for? 39% still say Donald Trump. What I see there, Chris, is a number that is baked in at 39%. And then the issue, when you talk about January 6th, who do you trust more on democracy 
it's essentially dead even well, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Well, I mean, look, uh, all Republicans are going to say they don't trust Joe Biden on democracy because they think he right. stole the election. Um, uh, here's the way to think about this. Well, here's a way to think about this poll, which is Donald Trump is not doing any better in this poll than he did in 2020. But Joe Biden's doing a lot worse. Okay. Um, Donald Trump, we know, has a low floor, as you see here, 39% of these voters in prison, no prob, still in, let's go. <laughs> right. Uh, but he also has a low ceiling, which is to say that Donald Trump has hard limits on what percentage of persuadable Americans will come in to vote for him. There's a lot more elasticity in Biden. So Biden is dramatically underperforming here, hmm. his numbers from 2020. The problem isn't about Trump. The problem is about Biden. And I will say this, David Axelrod did more than suggest David Axelrod said it was time for Joe Biden for the good of the country to drop out of the race, said it was a mistake for him to run in the first place. Then, while he's doing that, Barack Obama is out talking about the Israeli-Hamas conflict in a way that very much undercuts the message from the White House. This is not a time for Democrats to be divided. They have a weak incumbent. They have serious problems. This is whatever David Axelrod thinks that he's doing. It ain't helping. Well, we have a year until the election. And I would say the refreshing thing is that the Obama people were honest. I mean, we were honest even amongst ourselves and, you know, picking fun at what people have gone out to go work for corporate America and, you know, what what people are actually like our teachers and our social workers. And we were holding ourselves accountable. So I actually appreciate that we're being so pretty honest here. So at least you guys knew who was going to buy dinner. It wasn't going to be the teachers. <laughs> That's right. right. It so, was not going to be so the teachers. Were, or how many workers. people privately were saying what David Axelrod said publicly? I mean, there's not a person in the audience that does not recognize that he is 81 years old and we'd like a new generation of leadership. We were the people who brought a new generation of leadership 15 years ago. We're still for that new generation of leadership. But will we show up for Joe Biden when he's on the ticket? We're going to show up because our alternative is Donald Trump right now. Now, if the so, Republicans select somebody else, that changes. So when you look at, at, at voting blocks that are traditionally very solid uh, to Democrats, Hispanic voters, Joe Biden only plus eight. Black voters, Donald Trump right now in that New York Times poll had 22 percent Somewhere between one and four, one and five of the black votes. Yeah, for Hispanic voters, I don't find it particularly surprising because we know that they have been, you know, and obviously none of these groups, these, um, you know, racial groups or ethnic groups are a monolith, but Hispanic right. voters overall have been inching towards a more moderate or even more towards the right, particularly Cuban Americans. You see it in Texas as well. For black Americans, though, that should be a big wake up call mm. for Democrats because this is a voting block, particularly black women who have showed up for Democrats in states like Georgia. So they've got to figure out their strategy. And that's where there. inflation is incredibly important. It is. Exactly. Because and, those are working class folks. Obama talked that, about that. But the immigration issue as well. You've seen, you know, these um, people in Chicago who are rising up and saying, wait, these illegal immigrants, yeah. almost six million since Joe Biden took office, are crowding out our health services. Were you surprised, though, that immigration was only plus 12? I thought that would have been higher I do. for I Trump's think, favor. I think we haven't yet seen the chickens come home to roost when it comes to that. People are watching footage of, you know, uh, people sitting on trucks and crossing the border, calling it an invasion and whatnot. But we haven't exactly seen what's happening to our schools. You're seeing glimmers of that in New York City, where parents are rising up and saying, hey, our children are being crowded out by illegal immigrants that are being put in their gymnasiums. But we're going to see that, I think, manifest in the next few years. But not all of that is actually being um, realized on if the ground. If Republicans yes. had a solid solution on immigration, then that, you know, would make sense. But it's right now, 
they HR don't. Too. But, but this is the problem, right, is that we have always been the country where people have sought refuge from from awful, brutal uh, oppression. And so we can't just say we're not going to have anyone come to our country. We need a solution. There's a bipartisan solution. Republicans and Democrats probably pull so close because they have to work together to bring it about. But you got to staunch the bleeding right now. I think that everyone is starting to realize that. Again, not fully realized right now, but you got to stop the bleeding at some point. My family came here legally. There's a, people, a, a demographic of people that is no more bullish on illegal immigration than those who came here legally. Because well, a lot of people came problem. here legally when the, the trial was, Do you, are you healthy? <laughs> yes, come in our country. So, you know, it's kind of changed over the course of time. All right. Well, coming up, there is a Presley on the ballot in Mississippi. And it is one of the most watched races in the country come tomorrow. Is the governor's mansion in Mississippi about to be uh, all shook up? <laughs> Plus, what about the key races in Ohio, Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania? Steyerwall breaks it down when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Tomorrow is Election Day in America with key races in Pennsylvania and Virginia. A big governor's race in Kentucky, abortion access on the ballot in Ohio, and even Elvis Presley's cousin potentially pulling an upset in Mississippi. News Nation's Chris Steyerwalt here to break it down. Chris? Uh, okay, I love uh, all of the states of this great nation uh, deeply, uh, but I don't really care what happens in these races. What I really care about is what does it tell us about the 2024 electorate? That's what weirdos like me are thinking about right now. So I have ranked these races in order of how much they can possibly tell us about the 2024 electorate. So let's start in Pennsylvania. Okay, so Pennsylvania's weird. Uh, it chooses its just judge and justices not only by election, but by partisan election. So you know which party you're voting for. And here you have an open seat on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court where Democrats enjoy a majority. This one is really important. It's a statewide election, and it is going to tell us in the biggest most important of all of the swing states. We were just talking about that poll and all of the swing states in the poll. Pennsylvania, 19 electoral votes is the single biggest one of those states. It went for Donald Trump narrowly in 2016 by a slightly uh, wider margin went for Joe Biden. But it is very much in play. What we see there will be huge. OK, number two, Virginia, the old dominion, Glenn Youngkin. He looks good in a fleece vest, but can he run for president? Well, Maybe if, in fact, uh, Republicans have a really big day in Virginia. Virginia is basically a blue state, but because of some oddities of the electoral cycle, it's a closely divided House. It's a closely divided Senate. Here's a terrifying thought, especially if you're in the D.C. metro area. There's been about $200 million spent on what comes down to essentially five House races and four state Senate races. It's a lot. Uh, on the ballot here, just as it was in Pennsylvania, is abortion a central issue here? Democrats have run on it. This will test the salience of abortion, but it will also test whether blue state suburbanites are ready to go for Republicans when the economy is weak. OK, speaking of abortion, let's go to Ohio, out to Ohio, Ohio issue one. T the test in oh, wait, I'm sorry. I think I skipped all of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Go back to Kentucky. I'm sorry, Kentucky. OK, in Kentucky, Kentucky, also politically weird. Uh, they have traded parties in the governorship 
four times basically this century. Republicans and Democrats have traded back and forth. This is a state that's 25 points Republican on the presidential level, but goes back and forth on the state level. Andy Bashir, popular trying to hold on, trying to keep his distance from Joe Biden. Daniel Cameron, the state's uh, attorney general, trying to make it all about Joe Biden and nationalize this race. If Cameron can pull off the win there, that will be a very bad sign for Democrats and Joe Biden about the ability to nationalize these races. Uh, you, not a good time to be a Democratic incumbent. OK, now we can go to Ohio and now we can talk about the salience of abortion since the summer of 2022, when Kansas had a referendum up to ban abortion. Uh, the it has been an un, almost unbroken string of victories for pro-choice forces. Uh, and in Ohio, uh, pro-lifers tried to get a ballot measure passed through in August. Uh, pro-choice activists stormed the polls more than, as you saw there, more than three million people went out for an off, 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 off year election in a midterm, stormed the polls, defeated the measure. Now they're back to try to get abortion in the state constitution. And if they succeed, they're expected to succeed. What we're going to be looking for is by how much, what kind of number. And, Blake, uh, you, I'm going to give you what you want. Okay, I'm going to give you Mississippi. Okay, it is true that Elvis Presley's cousin, uh, who was a small-town mayor and on the State Public Utility Commission, is running. Brandon Presley is pro-life. He is pro-gun. He's anti-tax. He's basically a Republican. That's what you've got to do to try to win in a Republican state like Mississippi. Tate Reeves has a scandal that weirdly involves Brett Favre uh, that has dragged him down. Democrats are hoping that they will knock him off, and I'll make you a deal. If Elvis Presley's cousin wins that election... Uh, I will wear an Elvis costume mm. on this set. I will come here dressed as obviously fat Elvis, but I, I will come here and do that because I think it is a low probability event. And there's your breakdown. Styrofoam breaks it down. You need the, the 30 or the full timeout after that one. I, I've you got, ready to I, go? I want you to know I've got the costume. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I, I didn't bring it with me, but I, I, I can do it. I heard you say abortion a lot. Yeah. Do you, you think I said abortion a lot? You should hear what Democrats say about abortion. Yeah, um, it's, it's every commercial here in the DMV area. And in Pennsylvania and Virginia particularly, we get to see how much salience does this issue have when there are other considerations. Pennsylvania is cleaner because it's just the judiciary. And basically, you know, it's on the ballot in Pennsylvania. Republicans are talking about the 2020 election in uh, Pennsylvania. Democrats are talking about abortion. Uh, I think that's probably a better fit for Democrats. In Virginia, the messaging on, and you've been, you've been subject, you've been a victim of this because you live here. The messaging from Democrats on abortion has been withering and intense in every single race. Glenn Youngkin has taken uh, tens of millions of dollars, gone around the state. He remains popular. I don't know what happens, but uh, the results will be misinterpreted and overinterpreted, but there will be some interesting stuff in there. When Chris Tyrewall is wearing an Elvis Presley uh, <laughs> costume in his lovely It's hill. a tribute. It's not a costume. It's, it's a tribute. It's going to be very <laughs> Well, and on abortion in Virginia and Democrats going all in, I find that very interesting, this dynamic that has been emerging, because as Democrats have been going all in on abortion, you've seen some Republican candidates in the Senate backed by Youngkin, who have actually been embracing a 15-week restriction or ban on abortion. They say, look, this is moderate. Uh, this is uh, embraced by many Virginians and much of the country. So this is going to be a test of that 15-week threshold. It is going to be a test. And look, like, who enforces this, right? Like, are we going to have a panel where we've got, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene deciding whether a person who has 
whatever the concern is, the life of the mother or whatever, you have to have that then tested out before a state. I think these are the questions that most Americans want to make their decisions on when and how they're welcoming a life with their doctor and their faith and no one else. And it's really going to be a question to see whether whether Republicans want to run on a 50 By the way, as, as Chris mentioned, in, in this area, when you watch anything right now, the commercials are um, MAGA extremists who voted for a national abortion ban. And on the other side, it's the Democrat, uh, crime-loving crime Democrat who's going to help someone knock on your door and harm you. Like, that, right? I mean, I mean that's college, like... College football fans are hardest. Oh, my gosh. I was it's watching really, the football on Saturday yeah. night, and every other commercial was abortion, crime, abortion, crime. So exhausting. Anyways, all right. One of those closely watched states, uh, as Chris talked about, is Virginia. Coming up, I speak with the senator from that state, the Democrat Tim Kaine. We met outside of his office just a little while ago. So what does he make of the growing divide among Democrats in his party as it relates to Israel? And what he says the U.S. ambassador to Israel recently told him. Plus, did you see the announcement that Jeff Bezos just made? Not about the Washington Post. Not talking about that. We'll follow the money when the Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. Did you see this over the weekend? Pro-Palestinian protesters took their fight straight to the president's doorstep, with tens of thousands descending upon the White House to demonstrate. Now, this morning, even at, at one point, physically shaking the gates of the White House. Uh, this is in, in front of the White House, and those are the, the big barriers. This morning, in the aftermath of the protest, the images uh, remaining from the pro-Palestine graffiti and red handprints on a White House entry and on nearby monuments. This is Lafayette Park. Uh, to the north side of the White House Public Park. Anyone can go there. But what we saw on Saturday, I think, was a different level, shaking the gates. Kara? Yeah, I can't believe it. I mean, to me, this evinces the two-tiered justice system, right? We've seen mobs get out of control before, and they've put the, the full force of the weight of the Biden administration and the Department of Justice against those people. Why aren't they doing that now? Bloody, fake blood handprints shaking the gates of the White House, as you said. That, to me, is, is very, Is it that, or does it impressive. show the Democratic divide? Well, I think both, too. And to, that is what is so puzzling to me, right? Because this is something that Americans should be able to unite behind, not just because of what happened uh, to Israel, but what happened to Americans. I've said this before. 33 Americans killed. You have bases in eastern Syria attacked by proxies. You've got Iraq bases, U.S. bases in Iraq attacked. You've got um, intercepts of Yemeni cruise missiles in the Red Sea. This right now is in enveloping the Western world, not to mention in the digital sphere, too. So this is a you, U.S. issue. You you see this, Johanna, at the steps of the White, at the gate of the White House. Yeah. Uh, Democratic staffers, about 20 percent of them, according to Axios, calling on the D, asking the DNC uh, to have the president call for a ceasefire. Then you have President Obama, quote unquote, nobody's hands are clean. And I was there for that speech. First, I want to say Bernie Sanders has actually said ceasefire is probably not an option. Um, and I think that President Obama was very reflective in this moment. He was talking about what could we have done differently? And I can assure everyone, if there was a two-state solution to be had, Barack Obama would have wanted that two-state solution. And when I see young people with these free Palestine signs, I think, I don't think they have all the information. Because I'm sorry, but if you go 
there right now. I care so much about that child who wants to dream big dreams. But if we free Palestine, what is the solution? I mean, I went to Ramallah with President Obama, and there was not a government that could take over. And a government that would care about LGBTQ rights, that would care about women's rights, that would care about human rights, I didn't see that. So I'd love to know what the solution is. And that was actually the bigger context that I appreciated of President Obama, is he was saying, if we want to look at the solution, let's look at the years of all of the emotions here. Let's remove ourselves from this. And and I'm sorry, but when people are going to the White House and saying free Palestine without an actual solution, that's not helpful. No, they have a solution, and it's from the river to the sea, the eradication of Israel. They're well, no, over that, over they again. don't understand this. That's the problem. I it's they do. No, I'm sorry. Some people do. It's a small percentage of people who were found out on social media that they were doing this, this event that they thought was for the children who are under fire because there's a war going on. Real quick, Chris, is it, does it show the pickle that, that the, that the that president is in right now with his party? Uh, I think that this helps probably Biden because the reprehensible behavior of these people and their, uh, their wretched conduct, uh, these, the hooliganism of going around D.C. Uh, defacing buildings, uh, uh, trying to be a mob, uh, I do not think uh, brings anybody to the side of the of the Palestinian question. And I think it uh, helps Biden because it becomes clear that the people who are the most uh, adamant about this uh, are not civil, are not willing to participate. So I think this is that probably is a re- as a reverse bank shot probably helps Biden because it generates sympathy. Well, the Iraq, uh, the Ismail, sorry, the Israel Hamas rather war is dividing the Democratic Party uh, with some calling for a ceasefire, as we've been talking about the prominent Virginia Democratic Senator. Tim Kaine, by the way, who's a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, told me this afternoon he wants to see some change in how Israel is going after Hamas. We spoke just a little while ago about the war as well as tomorrow's election in his home state. So, Senator, we we saw the images outside of the White House over the weekend, these pro-Palestinian demonstrators shaking the gates. There was vandalism as well. They're, They're calling for a ceasefire. Um, are they right? Do you, do you feel that there should be a ceasefire? Not against Hamas, because Hamas won't do a ceasefire against Israel. Hamas has pledged to annihilate Israel, and they've stated over and over again, even since October 7, they're going to keep doing it. But there needs to be a clear differentiation between Hamas and Palestinians and Gazans. Most people who live in Gaza, they're not Hamas. They're under the thumb of Hamas. And so what Israel needs to do, and I've called for it with colleagues, is a humanitarian pause to enable the delivery of aid to these Gazans who are suffering, who were without water and food and medicine. And that can be difficult. How does that work, though? Like the the ambassador, uh, Ambassador Herzog, when I asked him about a temporary pause, he said, I I don't even... I don't even know what that means. He, he knows what it means. I talked to him, too, last week. He knows so exactly what, what it means. What did he tell you? What it, what it means is, why did Israel tell Gazans to move into the south? It was because they want to focus on Hamas in the north. But they can't block humanitarian aid in the south. When Gazans have done what they asked them to do, get out of harm's way and go to the south of Gaza, then they're entitled to get humanitarian aid, water, medicine, food. And Israel can ma- help make that happen. And they need to help make it happen because they need to clarify that the war is against Hamas, not against Palestinians. And to the extent that it seems like the war is against Palestinians, it's hurting Israel and it's running the risk of bringing more parties into this conflict. You saw the same polls over the weekend that I did. Is th- how worried are you that this issue 
could end up costing President Biden a swing state or more. The, the last thing I'm worried about right now is polls. This is a very serious situation in Israel and Gaza. And, you know, I've had to I've had to answer a question from people that I've never had to answer in 30 years in public, public life, which is, could this be World War Three? Hmm. People are mindful of the World War One regional conflict. And then a new party joined and another party joined and another party joined. And then suddenly you had a global war. That's what is worrying me as a Virginian who's on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committee. I'm not worried about polls. So speaking of Virginia, uh, the election on Tuesday, yeah. does this issue carry over or, or where are voters in your state right now? You know, Virginia is a real military state. So, you know, we're very, very connected to military activity. Virginians have been deployed on the carrier groups to the Middle East. And so that's on people's hearts. I think that I think that the issues that maybe are a little more palpable in Virginia right now as I've gone around the state is they watched... Um, the House flirt with shutdown, and that affects Virginia. So many work with the federal government. They watched how the House flirt with defaults. They watched the House kick out a speaker and then take three weeks to pick a new speaker. And that all happened, you know, kind of at the beginning of October. We started early voting September 22nd. So I think the, the perception up here, particularly on the House side, like, can these guys run things? I think that's going to have a significant impact. I would say that issue certainly perceptions of the economy. As I travel around Virginia, what I hear, it's an interesting thought from Virginians. You know, the economy's pretty good for my business right now, but I'm worried about three months from now. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's around the corner. Um, and then the other issue that I think is really important is in the aftermath of Dobbs, Virginia's the only state that has protected women's rights essentially following Roe v. Wade. And that's threatened if Republicans get the majority. So for the folks who don't live in Maryland, Virginia, or yeah. D.C. who see the commercials, yeah. every Republican candidate, at least in every commercial yeah. I've seen, is painted as a MAGA extremist yeah. who is for a national abortion ban. Right. It, is that the message that you think these Democrats should be running on? Like, it is the message. That's yeah. it that yeah. I see on television. It, uh, look, I'm going I'm to be running my own race next year. I'm not on the ballot this year, so I'm not going to comment on the way people are running their races. But they're running the races based on what they're hearing from their voters. And, and Virginia, again, is the only state in the South that basically has decided, let's follow Roe versus Wade, which is the law of the land that women could rely on for 50 years, and let's not do an abortion ban that would roll back those rights. And that is enormously popular with the Virginia voters. They don't want to roll back women's reproductive freedom. Whatever they think about abortion, they don't want to let the state criminalize women and their doctors. And so that's why you see these ads. And I think, as you've seen in, like, referenda in other states since the summer of 2022, I think the issue is going to continue to have some real power. So you heard him there, Julia, uh, Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, talk about, you know, humanitarian pauses. I, I found it interesting. The White House today put out a, a statement about Joe Biden's phone call with Benjamin Netanyahu, and they mentioned a, quote, unquote, tactical pause. Now the Israeli prime minister is talking about potentially a tactical little pause for thing like, things like goods, humanitarian goods, and the release of hostages. Is that sort of where things are going here? It seems like it. Yeah, it does. And this is something that the U.S. and Israel, and mostly Israel, have had to deal with in the past. Look, whenever Israel, when they, you know, are defending themselves or responding to some sort of an attack, um, there is criticism for how Gazans and other Palestinians 
are impacted by this. And we have seen all of this video and um, these horrific images coming out of Gaza of families, of children, innocent civilians suffering at the, you know, due to these airstrikes and um, due to the siege on Gaza. So this is a public relations battle that not only President Biden has to figure out how to fight because uh, the U.S. is supporting Israel, but also Benjamin Netanyahu. Because remember, there are Israelis who obviously want to feel safe, secure, Know that their governor is protect their government is protecting them, but at the same time, there are uh, Israelis who are concerned about the well-being of Palestinians. All right. Well, coming up, why Jeff Bezos is now packing his bags, the billionaire trading Seattle for the Sunshine State, and remember the term the Great Resignation? Did that just get retired? We'll explain both. Back in a few. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So Jeff Bezos, the third wealthiest man in the world, founder of Amazon, of course, now moving to sunny South Florida, Miami. In an Instagram post, Bezos said he would miss Seattle, Washington, where he started Amazon, and explained why he's moving, saying, quote, I want to be close to my parents and Lauren, his girlfriend, significant other, and I love Miami. Also, Blue Origin's operations are increasingly shifting to Cape Canaveral. However, there might be another reason. Florida does not have income tax. Here's the Wall Street Journal. Quote, the move back to his childhood home brings emotions, potentially lower state taxes, and fellow billionaires. Is this heartstrings going back, or is this Washington state income state tax, Florida no income state tax? We know a lot about Jeff Bezos' heartstrings, (laughs) because you may remember he took a picture of his own genitalia. Oh, gosh, that's where you're going. I thought we were going to tax Uh, policy here, and like, this is what's going to happen. This man always makes the wise decisions. I I think there's something probably with the tax bill, but also, as I understand, his kids are getting older, so he also may no longer have ties there. And I'm not sure that Mackenzie Bezos is such a big fan of the new girlfriend. You're going to try to stick this to to Democrats, though? I mean, this is like... I would think down your wheelhouse of, you know what, you want to tax the rich, see ya. You want to defend the right. genitalia guy? No. I will not defend that. I don't, I don't know what's going on his head. Which, oh, anyways. Um, so, when it comes to, um, what, this is what I think is missed. Yes, I think the, the money matters, but, and the billionaire matters, but this also, Miami, became a really innovative tech hub, yeah. especially when people were decamping from the Bay Area during COVID. There's VCs there, lots of investment there, tons of really great things in the tech space going on. I think being part of that energy is also a good thing. But I also will say, look at leaving places like Seattle, Florida's just a better place to be. You know, mm. I, I was in Afghanistan three times. I never felt scared for my life until I moved to the Bay Area, which is very has a very, very similar vibe, and I was walking on those streets. I'm telling you, he might just want to be in a nicer place. State tax in Washington State, 20%. State tax in Florida, 
Nothing. Yeah, look, my parents split their time between the Northeast and Florida. I grew up in Florida. My mom worked full-time for years in Central Florida. But look, um, they spend the most of their time in Florida for a reason. And so do many other people. <laughs> right, so. for that tax reason. Jeff Bezos has some real powerful Florida man energy. And yeah. I think it's fine yes. that he is now... <laughs> Aligning his geography with his with lifestyle. Reason. That's right. right. So the economy uh, just went through the great resignation. As you might know, that was basically like, oh, jobs, you know, all, all over the place. I can leave this one, go to that one. But now businesses have another problem. Employees aren't quitting, and it's causing headaches for bosses. Uh, another headline, the quitting rate for September 2023, 2.3%. That was the same as 2019 in September, basically pre-COVID. It may seem like it, but it is a big drop, uh, at least percentage-wise. And you saw that headline there from the Wall Street Journal. It says, the new headache for bosses, employees aren't quitting. It's the great resignation over. You talk about Amazon, second biggest company uh, in the U.S., so Bezos, you know, he's moving on too. Yeah, that, that's great. But I do think people are starting to see the shades of the economy and they're not liking what they see. So they're going to try to stay put. You know, we've talked about this before, but since Biden took office, around $7,000 has been lost by the average American household. We're starting to see the evidence of our eyes and our ears. Is We're it, worried. So maybe we'll is see. Is it fear, though, of what's around the corner? Because, like, if you have a good job no, now. No, but no, no, wait, no, wait, wait. Those high numbers post uh, during the pandemic and immediately thereafter could not be sustained forever. Right, no, no. And we're back to where it was, right? So mm-hmm. we have this, so you see at the beginning of the pandemic, no one is quitting their job because right. everybody's afraid there'll worried be n- no job right. ever exactly. again. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the employment market becomes inelastic. Then it becomes extraordinarily elastic because we're giving out $600 extra a week. We're right. doing Stimmy all checks, this extra all stuff. Of people are doing also people are, are, are being yeah. freed from work, right. as Nancy Pelosi once said. And then... We get back to normal. So good to be back to normal. Good Um, to be back to normal. I I will say we are not talking as Democrats enough about the high costs of housing, health care, and energy, and we have to address those things. All right. Well, coming up, why one mayoral race in the South is suddenly gaining the attention of some big-name politicians from California, Illinois, and New Jersey. We'll show you who's writing checks to who and why. The panel weighs in before the hill goes. We'll be back. Israel at war. This is a time for war. Launching a full-scale ground operation in the Gaza Strip. Fires burning in the distance. The hope of everybody is that it doesn't get any larger. We'll continue to cover it from all angles. Stay tuned to News Nation. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a note on something that not only just is catching our eye, the race for mayor in Charleston, South Carolina. Axios is reporting that the California governor, Gavin Newsom's PAC, donated $1,000 to the mayoral candidate Clay Middleton. The Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, personally donated as well. And Senator Cory Booker sent out a fundraising email for Middleton. Newsom, by the way, also sent out a fundraising text for Middleton. That raised $17,000 for his campaign. Now, Middleton is a former aide to the influential South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn. This cycle, South Carolina is the first primary state for Democrats. <laughs> I'll just say, Pritzker and Newsom are two of the moneyest money people of the Democratic Party. So it's not surprising to me that they're donating to the mayor. I mean, are they they just like setting things up just in case for next cycle? They want to run, but he's actually a good candidate. Clay is. He's a military guy. So an impressive one. What's going on here? Jim Clyburn uh, has been the uncontested heavyweight champion 
of the Democratic uh, Party in South Carolina for a, more than a generation. He has he has been the kingmaker. He's the one who got Barack Obama over the finish line in 2008, made the difference there. There was the right. famous phone call where Bill Clinton called him up screaming and cussing him after he endorsed Barack Obama. Jim Clyburn has been able to make it stick. Hmm. Uh, he is passing from the scene one day, and to have an aide of his in the political ascendancy in Democratic politics in South Carolina, that sounds like somebody I'd want to suck up to if I ever <laughs> thought about running for president. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, speaking races. There are some big races, as we know, tomorrow uh, all across this country. So you'll want to stay, uh, join us 5 o'clock Eastern for The Hill. Until then, uh, Connell McShane is in for Elizabeth Vargas tonight, talking to David Dizzo, former Green Beret.